0: Welcome to Point Two Law Review. I'm John Brandt. And I'm Carson Messersmith. And we are here for the weird week of July 4th, Independence this week. it was uh, We got some stuff released on July 3rd, 2023, which is a Monday, a rare Monday drop. That's true. We had a goofy week this goofy week. Goofy week from the Court of Appeals, and then today is July 7th, 2023. We're here to research the Nebraska Supreme Court opinions and Nebraska Court of Appeals decisions for this week. There weren't many. No, there weren't many and and maybe that's
1: indicative of a short week that I feel like for a lot of people probably didn't feel like a short week It probably felt like a long week.
0: Honestly, it felt like a couple weeks yeah, because I worked on Monday.
1: Yeah, come into the office on Monday. A lot of people were working on that Monday. The courts were open on courts Monday, were open. Yeah. and so you're transacting business on that Monday. Then you have the Fourth of July. Hopefully, you have a good time, but maybe you're out a little bit late. Have a couple of bevies. Zero you know. bevies. No it bevies was, for you. No, it, was it was responsible it was city. Yeah. It, it looks was. like you have ten fingers. I can't count your toes, <laughs> and I won't ask you to do that. No, I but. did
0: light some firecrackers off with my toes. Oh, which is a trick I learned yeah. in the Navy. <laughs> anyway, are we ready to proceed? I think so. All right. Let's do ex
1: parte summary. In Ray interest of Denzel D.
0: Incarceration, best interest. State v. Apple Hans. Uh, post-released notification, no PSR. So right. since we only have two, we're jumping straight in, right? Yeah, let's go ahead. All right.
1: So in Ray interest of Denzel D and interesting part here is we have another one of these cases that was covered on this pod through the court of appeals. And now it ends up on the docket of the Nebraska Supreme court. And hopefully you've been listening with us. And so you got to hear about this case, but I'll go through a little bit of the history. And so, again, as I said, this is, this case comes as a petition for further review from the court of appeals, uh, at the court of appeals, there was a reversal on a termination of parental rights. Because um, it did not further uh, the court of appeals articulated that it did not further the best interests of the child. And so, the brief facts of what happened at this case were that at the time of termination, the father, Denzel Sr., had been determined to be uh, the father, but at the point uh, he was determined to be the child's father, he was incarcerated. And so, uh, this happened during COVID, and because of COVID, COVID he had had uh, only one in person visit. And uh, he had had regular uh, virtual visits and phone visits where he got to speak with him, Denzel Jr. And uh, here he did everything he was supposed to basically within the case plan, uh, at least to the limited capacity of being incarcerated. And so he met all the case plan goals, but he was still incarcerated at the time of termination. And here what the Court of Appeals had reasoned was that um, even though the court was saying that the guardianship Uh, that a guardianship should be a temporary placement, uh, which would allow a parent to address issues Denzel and here Denzel Jr. Um, would not uh, be able to, uh, I guess, have permanency in a short amount of time. So the the county court had terminated parental rights based on that, and the court of appeals basically noted that the caseworker here said that Denzel uh, senior had been participating in everything, uh, that Denzel senior uh, was doing everything to be placed. Um, in Denzel Jr.'s life and and doing things to further his best interests. And additionally, the Court of Appeals uh, determined that DHHS had found that guardianship would be in uh, Denzel Jr.'s uh, best interests. And because of that fact, the Court of Appeals had reversed the county court and uh, had basically taken a stance that the guardianship was appropriate, and they had somewhat dictated that, that a guardianship should happen uh, through that Court of Appeals opinion. And Uh, The main focus of this entire case, and and it kind of is on appeal here again with the Supreme Court, is whether or not uh, the best interests here were being fulfilled uh, for Denzel Jr. And if um, unfitness, basically purely because of this incarceration, uh, made the best interests uh, no longer uh, viable or, or made uh, Denzel Sr.'s participation in this no longer in the best interest. And the Supreme Court goes through a similar argument that the Court of Appeals did, basically just uh, rehashing the Court of Appeals, and and they agree uh, with most of the, the basis that the Court of Appeals found and affirm the best interest argument, essentially saying that incarceration alone here is not enough, and because he's met all these goals, he deserves the opportunity to uh, continue to work this, and a guardianship is probably the most effective way to achieve that in this case. And so the only part that they change here is that to the extent that the Court of Appeals suggested that the juvenile court should place Denzel Jr. with his grandmother as a guardian, they disapprove of that because that is lies with the juvenile court in order to modify um, anything relating to the guardianship. So they take a little bit of issue with that suggestion of guardianship coming from the Court of Appeals' opinion. The interesting piece here is that this was a 4-3 opinion, and there is a dissent. And essentially the dissent Goes in and goes the other way and says that, um, you know, there should be more of a consideration on the effects of J- Denzel's seniors' incarceration on Denzel Jr. and Um, the ability of denzel senior to perform his parental obligations and basically they come to the conclusion that he has never been a part of his uh, life at least in a physical capacity being there physically and and taking care of him parenting him and that permanency in this case cannot reasonably achieved and that Uh, cannot be reasonably achieved in the near future because of this incarceration. And so, therefore, they would um, reverse the court of appeals, affirm the county court's uh, termination, and find that termination was in the best interest. Uh, So, again, one of these four or three opinions that were pretty close, uh, but the uh, overall outcome was that the court of appeals was affirmed.
0: All right. I had State v. Apple Hines. This is a uh, Nebraska Supreme Court opinion. It's from the district court of buffalo county and the issues here were uh, failure the, the assignments of error were fourfold they had a failure to advise regarding the specific tenants of the post-release supervision that was given as part of the sentence uh, the second is an excessive sentence third is an issue regarding the bond and fourth is ineffective assistance of counsel now um on the advisement of the post-release issue at the sentencing the uh, defendant waived her right to a uh, pre-sentence investigation report and didn't present any evidence and wanted to move forward with sentencing Um, at least that's the vibe i I got from the statement of facts is that they didn't want she didn't want to wait uh, for the PSI and wanted to move ahead so the court sentenced her uh, to a term of six months imprisonment on each count that she had with the 3a felony and a class one misdemeanor and then 106 days credit for time served and then one year post-release supervision and from the bench the court said this is the standard basically the standard conditions of post-release supervision are going to be included now um the specific terms of the post-release supervision were included in a order that was issued written later, and it was unsigned by the defendant. Sometimes they have to sign those and say that they received a copy of them. This, now we have these post-release terms being part of the sentencing order that was filed the same day. The issue the defendant takes up with on appeal is, hey, I never signed that. And, um, you know, I technically under the court rules, I am required to receive that beforehand. The Supreme Court took this up, I I think, uh, because it kind of gives some uh, guidance for trial courts and district courts on what to do in these circumstances. They discourage not pronouncing the specific provisions of post-release supervision without an appropriate substitute. As we've discussed here in this uh, podcast, um, the oral pronouncement at sentencing is greater than whatever is in the written a sentence that's later provided to the party. So the oral pronouncement trumps that. So at the oral pronouncement, you have to go through the provisions. Now you don't need to do all the provisions they say. Uh they advise that you could do have a document that all the parties could review that are going to have the terms of the post-release supervision and all the parties would have seen those and have an opportunity to object to those. And if that was the case if if they had those uh documents for post-release supervision in terms of post-release supervision and the opportunity to object you would not need to go through each specific provision now the anomaly here was of course that the defendant waived uh, the right to a pre-sentence investigation report those terms of post-release supervision are typically included in a pre-sentence investigation report but without that report um, they don't have that stuff so um, they go on to say that the second issue of uh, excessive sentence, the defendant argued, well, he didn't know facts or circumstances in order to pronounce this sentence. Well, you waived the pre-sentence investigation report. And when you do that, you're not providing the court with an opportunity to learn more about your background and experiences in order to pronounce a sentence. So you're choosing to forego all that and move ahead, and you can't later claim that you know you're burdened or harmed, or the court committed error by doing what you asked, which was waive that pre-sentence investigation report. And the same thing regarding the pronouncement of specific provisions, because there was no pre-sentence investigation report, there weren't any specific provisions, and the court finds here it's a technical, very technical error which isn't substantive, and they won't remand um, for uh, reconsideration on anything that's just a technical violation. Regarding the bond appeal, um, they found that the bond issues are moot because, and it's a two-paragraph little section that they deal with that, any kind of descri- um issues with bond or what, how the bond were set were moot, because after a sentence there is no remedy that an appeal court can do regarding a bond you've, you've been sentenced. So there's nothing they can do about a bond. And then on ineffective assistance of the trial counsel, um, they didn't make any specific arguments uh, on appeal, at least that's what the court uh, seems to indicate. No specific arguments regarding what was ineffective, so that was also denied. So everything here was ultimately affirmed, and a little bit of guidance for uh, district courts on how to handle the post-release supervision, and an, a good reminder um, to pronounce the things from the bench uh, as opposed to relying on any kind of journal entry or otherwise. Is that it for the Supreme Court? That's it Court? for the Supreme
1: Court. Okay, so we jump straight to the Court of Appeals, and again, we only have a couple opinions here. First case is in ray interest of Audrey B., which I guess kind of piggybacks well off of the last case we had. This is an appeal from the county court of Cheyenne County um, granting a termination of parental rights as to two parents, uh, Tiffany and Clifford, um, and the uh, court of appeals here. Uh, affirms in part and reverses in part. And so I guess just a little bit of the background, Tiffany here, the mother, uh, had it seems like quite a few issues uh, relating to mental health and uh, possibly substance abuse, criminal issues, um, at times uh, threatening individuals, and and there was just a a lot of issues that interfered with the ability to uh, work the case plan. Uh, Clifford, however, like our other case, uh, basically the big issue that happened here is that genetic testing occurred. Uh, when the department had a case plan, and so the case has already started. Uh, He was living in uh, Louisiana and was incarcerated basically for the duration of this. And so there was um, an ICPC process uh, completed in order to uh, potentially transfer care of the children to Clifford. But again, uh, he was incarcerated here, uh, though he was expressing a willingness to travel to Nebraska um, and trying to uh, achieve things there. And so as far as the termination, uh, they go through multiple grounds, but the kids have Had been out of uh, home for 15 to the last 22 months. Um, And then the best interest argument is really where this case uh, lies. And so as far as Tiffany, Um, the court found, uh, that there were, um, statutory grounds and that it was in the best interest to terminate, uh, parental rights for Tiffany here, uh, the mental health piece, um, and everything that had happened because of the challenges of that mental health piece had basically made it where she couldn't make enough progress. And therefore they found that it was in, uh, her or was in the children's best interest to terminate her parental rights. The interesting, uh, Caveat comes in here with respect to uh, Clifford. And the main thing here that the Court of Appeals uh, finds is that uh, one, um, he was incarcerated for the duration of this, but that that was just a factor, not the sole factor to be considered. And that um, things that weren't addressed, like appropriate housing um, and some of those pieces, were. caused by things that were basically out of Clifford's control. The lack of housing was caused by damage from a natural disaster. Um, There were issues as far as uh, placing the children, and then there were issues uh, with allegations of domestic abuse. Um, But here... Uh, there were no charges filed, and then the department didn't have any concerns about um, safety or, or mental health or ability to parent when it came to Clifford. And so basically they find that he had made the efforts here um, and that similar to our last case, the incarceration alone um, was not enough to basically say that the that the children's best interests were not being served by having uh, – Clifford as a parent, and um, he was meeting the case plan goals that had been created or the case, the one major case plan goal that had been created. And so therefore, uh, they essentially, similar to the last case, uh, found that Clifford should be given an opportunity uh, to exercise his parental rights, and therefore, uh, they reversed the termination as uh, to Clifford, but affirm as to Tiffany.
0: Yeah. So if you got a uh, client in jail and a juvenile case, uh, these are some cases you need to take a look at. Yeah, it's
1: almost starting to feel like we're having a bit of a string of case law here as far as termination goes. That's maybe indicating um, a direction our appellate courts are looking as far as um, incarceration and termination based on best interests of the child.
0: So, excellent. Uh, State v. Cody B. It's a juvenile transfer request. Um, Cody B was 17 at the time. He was alleged to have uh, committed some pretty serious sexual uh, allegations uh, and offenses. He would have been 18 at the time of the juvenile transfer request. So it was originally filed in county court as a criminal matter. And then um, he requested that it be moved to the juvenile court. Then, of course, as we went through uh, a few weeks ago, maybe even a few months ago, I don't even know. Uh, a few uh, weeks ago, a few months ago, the this, this state has the burden and then there's that sound basis for retention is the um, standard for the um, court to consider before deciding to transfer it over to juvenile court or retain the jurisdiction. So he would have been 18 by the time of that hearing, or he was 18 by the time of that hearing. The defense, uh, attorney, um, provided some evidence, the rules, of evidence don't apply at those hearings or the strict rules of evidence, or however that's couched, don't apply at those hearings. So he provided an email from a psychologist that indicated that any kind of juvenile sexual offender program would be nine to 12 months. Um, there were other outpatient things available that might be as low as six months, but there were other probably issues that needed to be dealt with, um, and for rehabilitative purposes before he reached the age of 19. The district court uh, found that the transfer um, was, there was no sound basis. or excuse me, there was a sound basis for retention and didn't go through all the factors um, apparently in their order, but did uh, find that the state had met the burden and there was a sound basis for retention. So they did keep it in criminal court. The uh interesting thing here they go through the alphabet factors in order to decide whether to transfer or not they make it clear that there's a presumption of a transfer to juvenile court when there's neutral factors or no evidence presented on certain factors so there's always this presumption that we should transfer it so unless there's a sound basis for retention so that's uh how the law is on that the uh court here found that there was no abuse of discretion in not um in finding a sound basis for retention and not transferring into juvenile court. Therefore it was affirmed after going through and analyzing all of the alphabet factors for transfer. That's it. I think that's it. That's it for this week. That was a, a lighter week, wasn't it? Yeah. must've uh, been a big 4th of July for, <laughs> for some clerks. I don't yeah, know. Exactly. I hope so. <laughs> I hope they had a great time. Oh man. Dog days of summer is that now when are the dog days yeah, i think days? we're in the dog days is i think that, yeah i think june to july start august that's dog days is it dog days yeah
1: we're calling it the dog days. what does that even so mean
0: is. that's a great question somebody tell me Point two to law review at gmail.com yeah tell us what the dog or tweet at us tell us what the dog days or th- are or thread at us we're not a thread yet yeah we're not a thread yet maybe we'll have to make a thread this is going to sound so silly is it threads i'm going to look on my phone <laughs> Let's see. That's a good question. It is It's threads. It's threads. Threads. As if they called Twitter tweets. Yeah. Threads. Threads. Facebooks. Metas. Spotifys. (laughs) (laughs) Can we name any other apps? Instagrams. Instagrams. Uh, This is Anderson, Klein, Brewster, and Brandt. Uh, Let's try that in reverse. This is Point 2 Law Review brought to you by Anderson, Klein, Brewster, and Brandt. We have offices in Holdridge, Minden, and Kearney. Um, another week has gone by got a few more left we'll, we're going to try and let's commit right now in the next four weeks we're going to do a review so we're going to have our special episode yes. review episode okay. it will okay. and it will be less than 20 minutes and now it's
1: going to be on the airwaves so we've got to do it we've committed
0: yep there we go
1: alright have a great week everybody I'm John Brandt, and I'm Carson Messer-Smith